Kishi also loves fishing, long walks on the beach, and Enka music. Hey, leave your Tinder profile out of here. <laughs> Shoot the core, Cass. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly Shmup-themed podcast that won't do dirty deeds done dirt cheap, but we will help rid your village of monsters for a nominal fee. From RF Generation, I am Metal Fro, also known as Game Boy Guru, and my co-pilot on this mission is... Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups. Indeed. Uh, before we kind of kick things off, uh, just want to let you know that if you'd like to connect with us, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast. You can follow me directly at GameBoyGuru. You can find all the podcast feeds via our Linktree site. That is linktr.ee slash ShootTheCoreCast. Make sure you join RFGeneration.com for a Shmup Club playthrough. And... Uh, you know, come join us on the forum there. It is all free to sign up. Please subscribe or like or rate and review the podcast on your preferred platform. Uh, we have read reviews out on episodes before, so uh, if you review uh, the podcast, let us know, and we will do that. Also, uh, join our Discord channel, which is linked from the front page of ourgeneration.com. We do have a dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic there, where you can come discuss the podcast, discuss the shmup of the month, and post screenshots of your high scores, talk about the games, or talk about shmups in general. Uh, we, we definitely have some good conversations there. You can also follow me on Twitch to uh, watch me stream the shmup club of the month game, twitch.tv slash guru gameboy, and, uh, you know, come cheer me on. All right, so our question of the month is Mercenary Force brings a unique squad-based system to the genre. What are your favorite STG slash shmup game mechanics? Our first one comes to us from at Ikarasi. Increased damage on a super attack based on perceived danger at the moment of release nearby enemy fire, such as Bangayo on the Dreamcast. Now that's one we got to cover. Oh, 2022, yeah. yo? Hmm, possibly. Uh, at Fran underscore Fricky says, Burst from Darius Burst Saga is one of the most pleasurable mechanics of the entire genre. It's like carrying a second ship with you. There's another one we gotta do. Our next one comes to us from at Ned Mocha. Grazing bullets for points and charging meters. It's a risk. But you end up much more in harmony with your hitbox and half unfocus your eyes so you can watch the pattern coming too. Least favorite? Extreme rank rules that incentivize taking hits on purpose. Call me casual. 
I have to say I have played Rift System, but the newest one that I'm really enjoying is Shield Maiden. That game encourages you to really take the hit, so to speak. And it's interesting the way different ways you can maximize your scoring. I'm hoping to see more of that game and hoping we can include it in a playthrough next year. Yeah. Uh, at Pony Tatsujin says, Ray Forces lock on to enemies in the background mechanic. It's just so satisfying locking on to multiple enemies and then just poof, all of them gone. I liked how this was implemented in Kamui a little better, though. Yeah, I enjoyed Kamui. I thought it was definitely fun, and it, I think it was dirt cheap on the Steam sale recently, wasn't it? Yeah, I think the Tale of All Time X Trilogy was 10 bucks. Well, that's a great deal. For sure. Our next comment comes to us from at Moo Moo Town. I don't really like anything overly complicated in a shmup. I enjoy Bat Rider's metal combo system because it's easy to understand and feels awesome when you get up to the max point massive metals. I also like it when power-ups build up your ship like in Terra Cresta. Well, Terra Cresta, there's another one that we could throw on there. I mean, Bat, don't get me wrong, Batrider would love to add too, but geez, if we had just changed the question to give us suggestions for next year, I think we're already getting some. Indeed we are. Uh, at Ben Parfit says, I love some of the cave arrange modes, Mushi Fatari and Akai Katana in particular. I'm also a big sucker for huge bullet-canceling combos that swamp screens with a sea of stars, tokens, or items. Gimme, gimme! Yeah, I kind of got that uh, got that vibe when, when we covered Crimson Clover, and uh, it can be kind of an addicting rush. Yeah, I could definitely see uh, Futari as uh, a contender for Challenge of the Year. Big juicy cancels. <laughs> Indeed. All right, our next one comes from us at Dub SRB. Valhelios chain bomb mechanic is really fun. You add in stage designs that reward you for smart bombing, and playing gets a bit addicting. I'm always up for addictive play. At underscore shoot the core says the invulnerable bit in our type that can attach to either end of your ship. Uh, two interesting expansions on that mechanic. Dragon Breed, where the entire dragon is invulnerable except for the rider. And Rolling Gunner Overpower, where the bit can be aimed 360 degrees around the ship. And yeah, I guess I would just say also, similar to Dragon Breed, excuse me, Saint Dragon uh, has a similar thing where the tail is invulnerable and you can sort of maneuver the tail around you to act as a shield for some enemy fire, and so only the head is is the weak point. Uh, so that's kind of another interesting play on that mechanic. Yeah, it definitely would be interesting to bring, speaking of R-Type, to bring in R-Type Final 2 when some more of that DLC releases. From what I've been seeing, the DLC stuff seems to be harking back to the old R-Type levels, and would be nice to get as a, uh, well, what is it, R-Type Final 3? Maybe when it's released. I I'm just not so sure we could get Mark MSX to sit in on that episode. <laughs> right. All right, our next comment comes to us from at Iori Branford, the dev of Demonizer, and if you haven't had a chance to take a look at it, please do. It's a great game. 
and who knows, maybe heading to console soon. Oh, so many to choose from. The Hypers, the Kai Katanas, Escalating Metals, further complicated by many favorite games not having any unique mechanic. Karensha, GG Aleste. I don't think I've been a game around any inducing enemy infighting though. Maybe I'll, I'll be the change. Enemy infighting, that's a great idea. Uh, I mean, the closest I could come to is you know, where they steal your ship in Galaga. You know that, yeah, I, I don't think I've seen that anywhere. That is that is defi- uh, definitely untapped potential. Uh, shmups and stuff on Switch, or an, at and shmups, says, got to be grazing or buzzing bullets. Especially if it's accompanied by a good, satisfying clicky noise or light controller rumble. Cyvariar might be the best example I know of. Uh, our next one the comment comes to us from at Arabia Fats. Toothpaste lasers. Oh yes, I am all in for toothpaste lasers. Give me some Raiden 4 overkill. That game is great and is dirt cheap on Switch right now at 30 bucks. Indeed. Uh... At, and I'm going to butcher this, so I'm just going to spell it, at C-A-A-N-E-R-U-D, otherwise known as Sarcasm Understander, says, having multiple weapons and being able to switch between them at will and power them up, such as Space Megaforce. There's another one for next year, Space Megaforce. Our next comment comes to us from at SPM underscore NSW, responding to Sarcasm Understander. And you can only lose only the one you're equipped with on death, a la Thunder Force 4. I love simple scoring systems with potential that will prevent the first stages from becoming stale, but at the same time giving forgiving enough that you won't want to restart after silly mistakes. Also, good pace, original mechanics, interesting level design, etc., etc., etc. I mean, Thunder Force 4 is one of those games that I would go back to, you know... We played Lightning Force. We can probably just squeeze in Thunder Force 4 as a different game at this point, right? Uh, as much as I would love to do that, we sort of covered it, so... Oof, I don't know. We can compare and contrast it with the Switch port. <laughs> well, we kind of covered the Switch port. I know. Uh, but may- maybe we'll just do a-, a best of. That's true. Or... Or maybe at some point we can do a redux for people who missed out on it early enough. Alrighty. Uh, at Chris Josephowitz says, I'll agree with others that grazing is the most fun, usually. I also really like exploiting iframes by timing pickups, bombs, and so on. Yeah, and that's kind of an interesting sort of cross-game mechanic that a lot of, of, uh, a lot of different games allow you to exploit. Yeah, I find it uh, very telling that no one has talked about the grazing that's encountered within Odomedius. They're like, oh, shoot, shoot, what, this hitbox is so big, am I going to make it through? Yeah. <laughs> uh, our next one comes to, comment comes to us from at 5 pro It's not quite gigawing two levels of screen-filling insanity, but this little endorphin rush will never get old. Links to the previous tweet with video showing three giant bullet cancels in a row and Mushi Fatari. Everyone likes those juicy cancels. Oh yeah. Uh, at L Machine Games or Lost Machine Games says that fancy Sukio Gorentai 
Lock on. There's another one for us. Our next one comes to us from at Ken Moody. I'm afraid this reveals my general basic nature, but I'm going to go with the charge shot. Pretty certain R-Type pioneered this one, but I wouldn't be surprised to find an earlier title. R-Type's the earliest one I can think of. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm not aware of, of any shooting game that did a charge shot prior to R-Type, so I think that's probably right. At Beamlord says, Good, old-fashioned, focused shot. Our next comment comes to us from at Chris B. Chips. The controllable option formations in Gradius 5. Alright, at 8BitToNow says, I like the bullet absorb mechanic in Gigawing. Very satisfying to use, especially when you time it right. Indeed. Our next comment comes to us from at RetroConflict. The lock-on laser from Raiden. I don't know if this counts as a mechanic, but I always thought the different pathways or branching pathways from Darius was cool. Finally got to play the original arcade game on a three-screen cabinet last weekend. That is awesome. I played it once back when it was new, and I would definitely love to play that again. Hopefully, maybe in 2022, we can all find a way to head over to Galloping Ghost. That would be amazing. Uh, at Darius Schmupper says, Really like grazing, particularly in the Saivariar games. At Stellar Fury says, Really hard to pick just one, so I won't. Gonna say the focus shot, especially when it's done a la Dunpachi. Simple and elegant, smooth as butter. General favor scoring systems tied to destroying enemies quickly as I tend towards an aggressive playstyle. No, I do that myself, that's why I really, really like Ketsui. Get right up in their faces and destroy it to get those five cubes. Hmm, five cubes. <laughs> At Goji underscore guy says, I really, really love the capture mechanic in G. Darius. The process of capturing and experimenting with every enemy is fun and rewarding, and the way it increases score and can be converted into bomb or alpha beam adds a lot of strategy. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that as well when I was first playing the game. Our last comment, but certainly not least, comes to us from at Easy Racer. Don't know how to best explain it, but I loved how Strikers 1945-2 treated loss of power. Run into something, don't die, but lose a power-up level. Uh, that is probably one of the saving graces for you know, a Psycho game that happened with Engumbered, and it's neat that you don't just instantly die. It just sort of bumps stuff out of you. It's one of the reasons why I didn't uh, quit in frustration as I tried something higher than uh, normal or, or monkey or child when playing those games. Right. So, we dealt with a lot of interesting play mechanics, play styles, and this month's game, or the game that we played for June, Mercenary Force, also known as Tengen Kaisen, really takes different style of mechanics on here and plays with your standard shmup mechanics in ways that traditional shmups don't. It's not quite considered a guide-in because it does do... Or sorry, not guide-in, a um, shmup-like because it's... The way that it flows, it still has your scrolling stuff, but it's so different than anything that most people have played that it's 
worth looking at the mechanics and worth looking how it plays. So, um, before we do that, we'd like to give a shout out to the participants of the month. They were Metalfro, Addicted, Zoido, Mini Console Man, Cork, and Normatron. Alright, so the one of the interesting things here is that the development history for this game is very unclear. Um, it's some it's some sort of combination of a company called Live Planning and another company called Lenar who developed the game. Uh, but it was published by Meldak in 1990 uh, in Japan as Tenjin Kaisen and here in the West as Mercenary Force. Doesn't Meldak uh, sound like the name of e an evil computer and maybe some campy sci-fi? It could be. I always think of I always think of Melmac, which is of course Alf's home planet. <laughs> Bootleg Alf. Oh boy, Bootleg we're gonna Alf. get some new hashtags from that one. <laughs> uh, um, Meldak did publish a couple of other notable games. Uh, they their only other Game Boy game uh, that we got in the West, I should say, is Hayankyo Alien which is a sort of trap-em-up and uh, a bit of a update to a classic Japanese arcade game. And then also uh, Zombie Nation on the NES, which, from what I understand, may be getting some sort of a revival from uh, City Connection. Um, so stay tuned for that. The game is set in Japan during the Shogun period, and sets a, pits a, a group of mercenaries against a dark lord and his army. Uh, you know, the, the ever-nebulous dark lord idea. There's no name, just dark lord. The North American release uh, is notable for its striking box art, um, which, from what I have... The conversations that I've had with people, they, it doesn't really communicate what the game is about. I know I was um, mentioning that to uh, Red McKnight in the Discord, and he was commenting that uh, he couldn't tell what the game was about. And I don't remember who it was, if it was Red or if it was somebody else, who said, oh, they never played the game uh, before because they thought maybe it was like a firefighting game because the, the helmets that the characters uh, or the figures on the cover wear sort of look like like fireman helmets. <laughs> yeah, maybe the the guy with the banjo from Phalanx was too busy to do the cover. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, it doesn't the the box art the Western box art I should say doesn't really communicate what the what the game is about. Nor does the Japanese box art, which is a very subtle sort of I don't know. It's like this off-white background with this bird on it, and then the kanji for the uh, for the game. So I don't really know what Meldak was thinking, um, but the North American box art, along with that of Hyankyo Alien, they did a very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A very aggressive marketing campaign for that, because I saw ads for those two games in magazines constantly in 1990 and and so uh, in fact I've got several 
back issues of old game mags that have those ads in them. And so I, I distinctly remember seeing the box art, but for whatever reason, I never went and bought the game. Uh, now, the game did receive a sequel called Yomihan Yume Goyomi Tenjin Kaisen 2, uh, but it's not a shooter. It's more of a sort of visual novel, I guess. Uh, so probably not something that I'm planning to ever explore. The interesting thing about Meldak is that they were... Uh, they're actually a music publishing company. And so, like a lot of, a lot of other companies in the late 80s and early 90s, they sort of flirted with the idea of publishing video games as another, another market, another vertical. But they, they didn't, that didn't last long. They basically went until like 1994 and then went back to music publishing. Yeah, there was a lot of Japan. I mean, the boom economy caused in Japan just caused the explosion and stuff, and, and all sorts of companies were getting a Pony Canyon well in there, and it produced a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, we have that uh, seminal Commodore 64 title, Law of the West, that got ported over the Famicom because of Pony Canyon. There was just all sorts of weird experimentation. I mean, this is past Super Mario Brothers, so we're past you know, the experiment in stages of what actually a game is. This isn't a, a Bird Week SDG. I mean, this is something certainly a lot more grounded. But it was interesting to see all these different companies trying it. I mean, this this is totally different than the West when everyone was trying to race to the bottom with the Atari market to make a game. Like, this is no Chase the Chuck Wagon. <laughs> right. Or Kool-Aid Man. This this is not the primordial ooze of gaming. This is something that is definitely more established. What this is, is companies that had been successful media companies that were flush with cast, excuse me, flush with yen, because of the boom market in the 80s that decided to finance this stuff and make even more money. I, I would say that the explosion from anime and all this stuff, and just the sheer amount of cash flowing led to a lot of very detailed, very involved projects at this time. A very interesting time for gaming in general. I think that the untold history of Japanese game developers would certainly be a good idea for somebody looking to look, go into that. They can find it on Amazon or ebooks. E there, It's definitely worth looking into. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about how, how homogenized the industry became later, and how this was sort of the Mark II version of the Wild West that was the early 80s with, uh, as you said, the, the, the race to the bottom and the glut of, of bad Atari games. But this was an interesting kind of experimental period uh, with a lot of these companies. And so it is kind of neat to look back and see how many oddities actually got released. Games that you would think... Uh, 10, 15, 20 years later would never have happened. And of course, we got a lot of experimentation during the PlayStation and PlayStation 2 eras as well, but 
then, of course, beyond that, things started to homogenize quite a bit. And so now there's this stark contrast between these huge multi-billion dollar AAA games and way smaller indie efforts done by one to five or maybe ten people that are a lot more concentrated experiences uh, that resemble many of the games that you and I grew up with uh, versus these really big, almost Hollywood-esque type productions where you have hundreds of people working on them and, uh, you know, just very involved projects. Yeah, and some of these games, I swear, after being the latest Assassin's Creed game, the credits were probably at least 40 minutes long. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it gets a little ridiculous. So, the story of the game uh, that I pulled from the manual here, over 100 years ago, during the mighty Shogun era, era, the Lord of Darkness sent his fearsome army to terrorize the Japanese countryside. Using the Dark Lord's powerful magic, his evil minions spread famine, plague, and pestilence wherever they went, leaving the peaceful population hopelessly oppressed. All who challenged the Wicked Lord were mercilessly slain as a warning to all those who had any further thoughts of rebellion. Then one day while meditating, the great Shogun Tokugawa had a divine vision where he saw a small group of mighty warriors rise up to defeat the evil lord. He immediately set out to recruit the five bravest and most skillful fighters in the land. After months of searching, he was finally ready to put his dream into action. It was time to unleash the mercenary force. Uh, I don't know, as soon as you said unleash the mercenary force, the Power Rangers thing popped in my head for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> go, go, mercenary rangers. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and you know, we we kind of talk about how the story seems secondary in a lot of these games and and it really is. But I kind of I kind of enjoy the fact that even though you don't get any of the story elements really in game other than the ending, it is kind of cool to see a story that is way different than most of these games because obviously most shoot 'em ups are in space or they're military shooters or they're really whacked out fever dreams and acid trips of of uh, waifus and you know all kinds of goofy things so it's kind of cool to see something that's sort of rooted in history but obviously from a kind of myth- mythological perspective versus uh, strictly historical and being a bit, I don't know, a bit more subtle, but at the same time, you know, still having a little bit of fun with it. Yeah, not every game can have text maxium, and that's okay. You know, it's definitely good to see something grounded. Right. I mean, every game should have text maxium, but not every game can. That's true. Only those special few. A <laughs> uh, couple of interesting things to note. There is no credit roll at the end of the game when you beat it. You literally get the ending screen and that's it. So you have to literally shut the Game Boy off and turn it back on if you want to play again. 
There's no way to get out of that screen. And there's also no credits in the manual. So honestly, we we really have no idea who developed this other than saying it was live planner uh, live planning and uh, Lenar. Yeah, we have no one to blame. Right, we have no one to blame and no one to congratulate. I also reached out to Mommy's Best Games on Twitter because I was curious during the month as we were playing this to find out if Shoot, uh, if shoot One Up uh, had been influenced by this game since it has a similar kind of squad-based system. And surprisingly, I found out that it was not an inspiration and in fact... Uh, Mommy's Best Games was not even aware of this title. So that's interesting that this sort of this sort of mechanic came out so many years ago. I mean, at this point now, it's been over 30 years. And there was, you know, there was no connection there. But someone else kind of came up with the same or a similar mechanic uh, with a different implementation. Uh, so I thought that was interesting to note. Uh, also of note is the gameplay, so let's get into it. The basic inputs, as per a Game Boy, are the D-pad to move up, down, left, and right, the A button to shoot, the B button to change the formation, and A and B together activate the Spirit Warrior technique, leading turn the lead character into your party into their spirit form for temporary invincibility, and increased attack through when their time runs out, that character is sacrificed. It's kamikaze attack. Kind of, yeah. At the start of the game, you can hire up to four mercenaries or warriors, as the manual refers to them, from a list of five. They are a servant named Kichi. He's 15 years old in the Pisces. Now, blood type, you know, I was a little bit surprised why they would always put this in here, so I to get a little bit more information myself, but blood type in Japanese and or Japanese culture and South Korean culture is used as indicative of what type of personality you'd have. So his blood type is AB. His favorite food is barbecue beef. His fighting strength, also known as hit points, is six. Cost to hire is 400 yen. Shooting style is a single shot rifle, which shoots straight ahead. And the servant has no spirit warrior. He just shoots straight at the head with a gun, and that's all he does. Yes. Kishi also loves fishing, long walks on the beach, and Enka music. Hey, leave your Tinder profile out of here. <laughs> Alright, our next character class, known as the Mystic, named Sakura, is secretly a princess, and needed to get the best ending of the game. She is age 19 and is a Capricorn, blood type B, favorite food, French cuisine, fighting strength or hit points 8, cost to hire is 700 yen, and shooting style are vertical bullets. And as the spirit warrior is spirit of life, she becomes large and flies shooting projectiles that bounce around the screen with temporary invincibility. Now, despite having the mystic in needed to finish the game, I found through most of my playthroughs that the mystic was something save until the end. Just because of how fragile the class was. 
Yeah, and her character is kind of useless in most situations, unfortunately. Our next character is a monk named Nembo. He is age 53 years old and is a Virgo. Blood type O. Favorite food, red beans. Fighting strength, 9 or hit points. And the cost of hire is 1,200 yen. So about $11, huh? That's pretty cheap. <laughs> Uh, shooting style, diagonal power shots. Spirit Warrior is the spirit of time. Invincibility and your party will move through 40% of the current stage at high speed, effectively skipping that portion. I actually didn't use the monk too much. Did you have a lot of experience with this character? Yeah, that was one of the things that I was doing um, kind of through some of my playthroughs is that I would hire a, uh, a ninja and a monk and would put the monk in behind and that would basically give me a three-way shot kind of situation uh so a spread shot and uh i found that to be a fairly useful strategy so you know with our, our next character a ninja named Tora, i went with him for most of the playthrough i had the, this the lone ninja playthrough and we'll get into that in just a second here and first we'll give you his tinder stats he's age 18 a leo blood type a favorite food bananas Fighting strength 10, cost to hire 800 yen. Shooting style, short range shurikens. Spirit warrior, spirit of the wind. Turns into an udon monster and releases 8 shuriken that can circle around it with temporary invincibility. Uh, the ninja was the most used member of my party. In fact, he was the only member of the party for most of the game. His shooting style just made it very quick in fire versus the uh, servant. And the servant would shoot straight ahead, but... The servant could only have one bullet on the screen, so you're sort of sitting there waiting for that bullet to disappear or hit something. It, it's just not very effective for what you're trying to do. So I end up with a ninja that shoot, can shoot out, I believe it's three shuriken in a row, and makes your frontal attack a lot more effective. And by not having any of your other party members, you're not worrying about them getting stuck on any of these surrounding scenery makes navigating a lot easier at least until you can get to the last stage when which way you you would hire a monk and then you would hire the priestess to finish out the game i know that this strategy was pretty popular here uh how did you find or how did you use the ninja in your playthroughs yeah similarly i use the ninja as kind of the primary character a lot of times and uh yeah, and, and it's two shurikens, I'm pretty sure. I was playing it earlier, and uh, I believe it's only two on screen at a time. But yeah, definitely a ninja-only party is a, uh, is a big part of, of uh, how I was playing. Our last character is the samurai, also known as Take. Age 21, he's a Taurus. Blood type O. Favorite food, Japanese pancakes. Fighting strength of 12. The cost to hire is 800 yen. Shooting style is double crossbow. Spirit warrior, spirit of fire, becomes a large flame monster that can fire projectiles in eight directions. And temp invincibility. Uh, the, with the, the samurai, I I don't think I... Well, I should say when I started out, I added pretty much one of everybody to my party. But after that, I started... Narrow it down pretty quickly to the ninja. Did you end up using him? I used the samurai a little bit early on. I did kind of like the double crossbow thing, but like the servant, you can only have one 
uh, one projectile on screen at a time. So even though it's two projectiles, it's basically one shot. And um, so it does give you more coverage than, uh, than the ninja or the servant in terms of a forward shot. But only having that one at a time and it being a bit slower projectile, um, I didn't find it as useful. Uh, the other part that's interesting about this game is the formation. Now, as I mentioned before, I didn't use these t too much because I went with a solo ninja just because I found a lot of the um, formations led to people getting stuck behind rocks or, <laughs> uh, you know, the old video game trope where people just are sort of walking in a straight line and they're sort of stuck that way. That's how it felt to me when they were trying to diverse this stuff. The pathing isn't uh, uh, the, the best of things here. That being said, we do have four different formations. The formation of the forest, which is a tight formation where characters are close together and no space between them. If you have four characters, they will form a square. Um, we also have the for formation of fire, which characters line up together with their bat. Back two character stack resembling a flame on a candle. It's not as tight as the previous formation, but less frontal exposure to enemy fire. And the formation of the mountain, all characters line up vertically, making the widest attack range possible, but exposing everyone to potential damage from incoming enemies. And the formation of the wind, similar to the formation of the forest, but instead with the tight square characters form a larger, more diamond shape. Uh, and you have put in the notes here that formations will break temporarily to make contact with, well, pretty much anything. The lead character will always move the fastest, so the other characters will lag someone in the falling. The formation only holds tight while you're stationary, which, yeah, it's an interesting mechanic, but one that ends up being underutilized because of the way that everyone seems to get stuck. Right. And one of the interesting things, too, about the formations is if you look at the manual for the game, it actually has uh, some detail that sort of shows you how the formations go based on one, two, three, or four party members. So, of course, with one member, you have no formation. With two members, uh, Formation of the Wind and Formation of the Forest both have them in a vertical uh, al alignment. And formation of fire and formation of the mountain have them um, in a sort of a straight line. And then when you get to three party members, that's when things start to differentiate more. Where you have, you know, formation of the wind has sort of three characters in a in a, a V kind of formation um, or a like a greater than symbol. And then formation of the forest looks like a less than symbol, but tighter and more compact and formation of fire is like a straight line and formation of the mountain is a, a vertical straight line and so then then you see the true nature of these formations when you have a full party of four and can kind of see the intention of of uh how they were done but yeah it, it's interesting that they included this in the manual um so that it sort of shows you you know what they look like, and you can kind of see what to expect when you're when you're uh, using these different formations. You know, I just think they had to put them in the manual because you couldn't see exactly what the heck was going on on the Game Boy screen, right? 
<laughs> well, I'm that's, kidding. That's uh, you're not entirely wrong. <laughs> that ghosting will get you. All right. So you start the game with five thousand yen to hire your mercenaries. Each standard enemy will drop a ten yen coin when defeated, and these must be collected quickly, or they will disappear. And they disappear a lot faster than I thought they would. I mean, you have to be pretty quick. Even with one character, you still sometimes I found myself missing them. Yeah, you kind of have to play very aggressively and be toward the right side of the screen to collect coins, which can be problematic um, because obviously then you're uh, in danger of running into enemies or getting hit by bullets that they shoot out the instant that the first pixel of an enemy comes on the screen. Yeah, in some ways it sort of reminds me or gives me uh, PTSD back to playing Jaws. You remember that where... Just some random steam ray would pop out on there, or crabs coming up from... This is the AVGN, um, would like to put crabs coming up from heck. Oh, right. In, in order to destroy you, yeah, it... That, uh, dealing with the unknown, as soon as it scrolls right, watch out. Alright, so... In addition to hiring mercenaries, you can buy items at shops throughout the game, also known as Seiki's Cafe... Sushi costs 200 yen and will increase all mercenary strength by one point. Medicine costs 180 and will increase the lead mercenary strength by three points. Tea is 400 yen and will increase all mercenary strength by three points. In stages two and five, tea is replaced by a scroll slash scripture, which will change your lead character into a higher class. Scripture, of course, costs yen. Max strength is 30, so don't buy items beyond that. Based upon everything that was here, it almost was cost-effective to just end up buying the medicine, especially if you're going with the solar route for the ninja. That was my... I didn't buy a lot of sushi. There, That extra 20 just didn't seem to really help much. Tea is okay. I, I just didn't really end up having needing it. The ninja strength by himself seemed to be fine. And the scripture, I tried it with an army of servants and then tried to upgrade to get a, a cheaper way to get the monk. And it just, it just didn't work out in my favor. It was so much more cost-effective to just go with a solo ninja. Of course, this is my playthrough. What was your experience? Yeah, when I was doing when I was doing solo ninja, I kind of followed a similar path where I was doing primarily medicine to just kind of boost his strength up. When I was doing ninja and monk, then I would buy tea whenever possible to try and ramp up their their hit points quite a bit. Or when I was at the shops that had the scripture instead, then I would buy the sushi to at least, you know, help bump up their strength. Because obviously that extra 20 yen uh, to add a hit point when you have two characters is it's not super cost effective but it's relatively cost effective Um, now obviously when your front character is when you're tanking with that character because you're off on the right side of the screen trying to take enemies out quickly and grab coins I did find that I still spent a fair amount on medicine to boost back up that character uh, when I was taking hits, but yeah, that that was kind of my strategy. Now, in stage two, there's a shrine where you can bet 100 yen and choose from 
one of five items on the screen. If you choose wisely, you will receive a visit from a special character in the final stage. Having a mystic as your party leader gives you the best chance of success. I didn't really gamble too much in the houses. It's something that if I were, were to go back and play some more of this game, I would definitely do. Here, I know that Zoido had some success with this. Did you mess with this too much? I did a little bit early on, but because I didn't see any results from it, I kind of quit doing it. I didn't realize until I went through the Hardcore Gaming 101's detailed page on the game, which is where a lot of this information I was kind of culling from uh, in addition to the manual. I didn't realize this whole thing about if you if you get a good result in the gambling that you then get help in Stage 5. So... I stopped doing it early on, but of course, uh, had I known that this was the case, I probably would have done that earlier, um, so that in my later runs, when I was consistently reaching stage five, that I could see what this what this special event was. In stage four, you can find Daibutsu, who will give you the opportunity to bring back a dead character. You can choose to pay 100 yen, 200 yen, or 400 yen. The more you spend, the better your odds. Did you ever resurrect any character? I think I did once, and then the next time I tried it, it didn't work. Uh, and I was out of luck. So I, I think I only tried it twice. Alright. Uh, twice in stage... Sorry, twice in the game in stage 2 and 5. You can enter a temple where your entire party will be granted extra strength. You'll receive 6 points of strength in stage 2. In four and stage five. Now this I definitely took advantage of. Yeah, and I think there may be one other area that uh, you can that that there's a temple in that I did not get in the notes. Um, it might be in stage three. I don't remember for sure, but yeah, let's just say there's at least two areas in the in the game, two temples that you can go in to get extra extra hit points. So there's, speaking of extra hit points, there's also all sorts of different things that you can do in order to enable cheats. There's the boss skip. When you press A and B when the boss music starts. This will also turn your lead character into a monk. Extra money, press up, select A and B all at the same time on the title screen. When you press start, you will receive 50,000 yen in the North American version, but only 10,000 yen in the Japanese version. There's the stage select. It's the same button combination on the title screen as the extra money, and then press start. Press right on the D-pad for each stage with to, to skip during the stage intro music. Yeah, and I messed with that earlier and confirmed. So when, when it's playing the intro music and it says round one on the screen, you just press right to then have an increment up to whatever stage you want to go to. And last but not least, there is hard mode. Hold A and B and left and press start. Enemy bullets are faster, and bosses have double health. Wonder what and the first person to discover that was probably like, oh shoot. <laughs> <laughs> we we call it, we call it, maybe that's known it should be known as Grady's three difficulty mode. Uh, yeah, something like that. So the game has three endings. The first ending is known as a bad ending, and it's achieved when using the stage select code and beating the game. The good ending is achieved by beating the game normally, but without a mystic in the party. The best ending requires a mystic in your party when you beat the final boss. 
And I know there's not that much differences to these, despite the. There, it, you're not gonna. It's not like one of those that says, starts off and then gives you T's and says, try again at a harder difficulty. It's just slight variations upon the theme. Right now, I I can confirm because I did this earlier that if you beat the game with uh, by using the stage select code, even if you have a mystic in your party, you will still get the bad ending, um, and that's an interesting one because it sort of turns all the people at the end of the game who are on the final screen to these weird monster characters. Um, so it's kind of a goofy... It's not really a bad ending, per se. It's just sort of goofy. Um, but I thought that was kind of a nice touch. All did right. you did you yeah. manage to beat the game during the month? No, I unfortunately did not. I... I hate to say it, but June was extremely busy for me, so I didn't have as much time to put in as I would have liked. So I'm yeah. trying to make up for it by playing double the um, June or July's game. All right. So let's talk briefly about the graphics. Um, I thought the graphics were pretty good overall. Uh, you know, there's a, a good amount of detail in the designs. Obviously, with everything being... Uh, low resolution on the Game Boy screen, um, you know, you don't have a lot of of room for detail, but I felt like most everything looked pretty good. You know, the monsters all had interesting designs and were distinct. The um, backgrounds and and stuff were were all pretty pretty nice. Um, there were you know there were a couple of of background elements that were a little bit harder to sort of make out what they were. But overall, I, I really feel like the game's graphical design uh, was quite good, and um, you know, did a pretty good job of of giving you something that was visually interesting, but also uh, not overdoing it. So that with the four four shade Game Boy palette, so to speak, uh, that you're you get overwhelmed or that there's you know the design didn't take away from your ability to still play the game and see what was happening i guess yeah when i tried it out on the mister it was really easy to see and identify i mean it didn't look like okay this blob looks sort of similar to this it was distinct enough within the sprites that you could tell a rock from a tree and you could tell the different classes apart, you could tell what was an enemy and where the shots were coming from. It was easy enough to see, even on the uh, Game Boy, or the DMG is notoriously blurry screen. So right. I think that the graphics and the scroll speed were done just right that it wasn't frustrating. Yeah. Now, I spent most of my most of my time in the month playing it on the Mister as well, but when I was messing around with it this morning, I actually played on uh, Game Boy Pocket, and granted, the Game Boy Pocket's screen is improved somewhat over the DMG, um, but it does still have a certain degree of motion blur that it uh, that it can be prone to. But I I found that the the scroll or that I found that the the slow scrolling speed of the background elements helped to minimize the motion blur 
and most of what you got with that was when you were moving around the screen, uh, particularly if you were playing as just the ninja or just one character, you get to move around a little bit faster. So that was really the only time that I noticed a motion blur. Otherwise, I thought it was <clears throat> I thought it was pretty good. Um, there, there's not a ton of animation in in the enemies and in your sprites, but what there what's there I thought was was overall pretty good. And I did like the fact that the the bosses were uh, generally speaking large, well animated, and and nicely detailed. So that was um. That was a good, uh, a good little plus, I guess, with the game. <laughs> you made it sound like you're putting out. I need some bosses. They need to be large, well animated, and nicely detailed. <laughs> right. Yeah. So moving on to the sound, I sound was not terrible, but uh, it definitely the music definitely got old after. <laughs> A couple stages. I, I, I mean, I would gladly take this music any day of the week over 1942, but uh, <laughs> it definitely felt repetitive. You know, this the sound effects themselves. The uh, nothing felt like it was overblown. You know, this what I call the steel vampire effect, where everything feels like it's just going to blow out your speaker. <laughs> It wasn't anything like that. It was very well done, and everything sounded like it hit. But but the music, the music in this game is not something that by far will stick in my head, nor will I uh, get the soundtrack for this game. Yeah, I thought that the the one track that plays across the six stages is it's pretty good, and it has that sort of of ancient Japanese kind of flavor or feel to it that you want, but it is very disappointing that literally the only songs in the game are the the stage intro, the the stage music, the boss theme, and then the little ending theme that you get when when you get the, the game's ending. That's it. So, it, even if they had only done maybe three tracks and and alternated them do you know one two three one two three or uh you know do two stages with one two stages with the next and two stages with the the third one something would have been better than having the same song during the entire game so for me this is where lennar and life planning whomever was responsible for the the sound design in this game this is where they massively dropped the ball because I really feel like, from a design perspective, most everything else in this game is uh, is quite good. But even though what's here is quality, there's just not enough of it, and it gets old. Yeah, the scoring is something that well, it's it's a mystery to everyone here. So we're not quite sure on how scoring is calculated on this game. Uh, even t- with uh, playing a run, taking out more enemies, scoring didn't seem consistent. I don't know if that maybe is just inherently buggy or something that is going on there. Uh, yen coins do not count towards your score. And Zoido had mentioned 
that using the spirit form attacks on boss will yield zero points for that boss fight. And high score display goes up to the millionth digit, and I'm not sure why on that one. It's no, it, it'll be interesting to see someone do a deconstruction of this game to get a better idea of how scoring works. It's just not very well laid out at all. Yeah, if anyone ever decides to pick apart this game through the hex code or what have you, that would definitely be very interesting. Uh, looking at Speaking of the scoring, I guess if we look at the high scores, Mini Console Man had the highest at 96,730 points. Zoido came in second with 95,800 points. And Cork had 90,360 points. So, what I know you said you didn't spend a lot of time with it because you were busy for the month, but what were your overall impressions of the game? You know, it's definitely one of these games that is unique and has its own flavor. It seems to be drawn out or uh, overlooked quite often because of this, and maybe for the fact that it was based upon a portable system. You know, when people think of Gradius, a lot of people are going to talk about the original 2, 5, well, definitely th 3. There's a lot of stuff on there, but I don't think anyone ever talks about the Game Boy ports, right? No one ever talks about Nemesis or, or Gra uh, Gra even Gradius Galaxies. It's just something that most people don't spend time with. And I, I think that this has relegated this to obscurity. It's definitely a interesting game. It's flawed in some places, but it's certainly worth playing. It didn't really click the way that I had hoped it would for me, but if I had played it when I was younger, I think this would have been a, oh, what a, a cult classic, I, I think is the best way to, des to describe it, the way I feel about this game. I think that more people definitely need to try it. It's not a game about firemen. Like that, and it's something that people should try because it's does stuff that is unique in the genre. Uh, the, the I would love to see something, maybe a reboot or something akin to this, done on a modern system as an indie title. I think that would definitely be neat. Maybe something to give things a little bit more of a grander scale. But if something could be brought back from the dead and gone in a, a reboot here for and put on the switch i would definitely say this game would be a great candidate for it yeah i mean this is this is one of those things where i w while i had a game boy as a kid and was actively buying games this would have been right up my alley and even though i always thought the cover art looked really cool when i saw it in those ads i mentioned uh i just never went and bought the game I don't know why. I, you know, it might be because I never saw it in the store anywhere, or that just wasn't what, you know, the mood that I was in when I went to go buy a game. I don't know. But this is one that I feel like I kind of wish I had owned it as a kid and bought it as a kid. You know, I know uh, when I was streaming a, a couple of times, uh, DJ Psycho M1 came in and, and, uh, and watching me play it sparked his memory, and and he said uh, he had this game as a kid and and played it a ton. Uh, so I think I probably would have done so as well, and it would have been interesting to sort of 
compare and contrast my my choices as a kid in terms of how I would have approached the game if I would have tried the lone wolf, you know, lone ninja kind of thing, or if I would have stuck to the, well, let's hire everybody and have a party kind of a of, of approach. You know, looking at it today, obviously, we have we have thirty years of hindsight and uh, the ability to much more easily collaborate in in terms of playing these things. So when when Zoido brought the idea of well, just use a ninja because it's easier, I kind of stuck with that and I played around I played around with you know doing the ninja and the monk thing for a little while because of the three way shot and more coverage and what have you. But generally speaking. I sort of found a strategy that worked and I stuck with it, mostly because I wanted to try and progress as quickly as possible and get a clear by the end of the month, which I ended up doing. But I think this is a game that I could go back to because as we're talking about this and as we're thinking about the different strategies, you know, I could see myself doing a party approach and putting let's say, a servant in the back, maybe a samurai as well, to get a lot of forward shot coverage, maybe a monk in the mix for that three-way, uh, and then a ninja up front for that sort of faster shots and stuff so that when enemies get through that that uh, fire that goes all the way across the screen from the servant and the, the wider berth of the... Of the uh, samurai or what have you, that you still have that extra coverage. I, I could see myself exploring that kind of of setup and not worrying so much about grabbing coins, except when I knew that there was going to be a lull in enemies, or I could do so safely without getting hit, because then I wouldn't need to worry about getting the money so much, because I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be taking damage and needing to go and buy food or medicine to heal up. So, looking at it, there's it seems like there's a lot of strategic possibilities in this game. So it would be kind of interesting to go back and approach this a little bit more casually, just to try out some of the different formations. And, um, you know, I never really messed with the spirit forms... Uh, at all during the month, and that's something that I, I would kind of like to to explore a little bit more. So, I think I did myself a disservice by focusing on only getting a clear, versus exploring the mechanics and the possibilities of the game a little bit more, a little bit more broadly. Uh, I feel like maybe I maybe I cheated myself out of uh, a richer experience by doing that. Having said all that, I do think this is a a good game, and I think it's one that, even though the Game Boy is not the best place for shooting games, I think it's a I think it's a worthwhile game to explore and to pick up. And obviously, there are other ways to play it these days, whether it's Super Game Boy, Game Boy Player, thousands of emulators, or the Mister. There's there's a lot of there are a lot of good ways to approach this game and to play it, and I think it's it's worth a look. Yeah, I feel like with some rebalancing on the way that it does its uh, rock, paper, scissors, or Jenkin uh, 
gameplay that they really could add a lot of strength to a party system. I feel like it's not quite balanced enough in order to do that. You need to deal with the pathing and you need to rebalance it a little bit. I'm not sure. The shot types I would definitely keep in there, but maybe some of the amount of money that you're left with. There is, it does feel like you're constantly trying to keep, you, st you have initial outset in your left. There, I think that before the we recorded, I sort of named it as you're playing a game of Oregon Trail. You've got your start on start money and you're trying to see how far you can get. And each way you're going to hit some obstacles, like can you ford the river, something like that. And by the way, if anyone can make a uh, STG out of Oregon Trail, please give it a shot. I'd love to play it. I know that there's a Super Adventure Wagon. I'm not sure if you've heard of that before. I have not, but I would say yes, please, to an Oregon Trail shooting game. Oh, we got to get you Super Adventure Wagon. Maybe we'll cover that. It is pretty much Oregon Trail, but in a game, we play, pick different uh, oxen and ships that you have in there. Maybe we'll put that on for next year. But Someone needs to make an Oregon Trail shooting game just so that we can have a boss that is nothing but a giant glob of diarrhea, because then you can literally die of dysentery. <laughs> oh, let's keep your family friends here. <laughs> no, it that would definitely be. I think that well, I'm going to see if we can put uh, Super Adventure Wagon on for next year because that, that it's not quite dysentery. We're not quite there yet, but it's it's definitely an interesting STG similar to that. No, it, it it feels like you are starting out with the outset, and then you're constantly just managing your resources. There, if you had gained more money across the way, I think it would have done more to allow you maybe a little bit more variety in the people that you can hire and what you're doing. But the amount of money that you get is just so low versus what anything costs. It's, you're pretty much just going straight from the outset, which is, for the most part, what you, you are doing depending upon who you select in Oregon Trail. It, it, it just needs a little bit of a rebalance Maybe a little more time in the oven. Uh, something that hopefully can be done by a reboot or a modern HD remaster, and this has the potential to be an amazing game. But for now, I'll definitely call it a Game Boy Cult classic. Well, now that we've shared our thoughts, let's go on to those from the RF Generation community. Our first thought comes to us from Zoido. I did another run today to get the true ending. It requires to have a mystic in your party as you finish the game. This can be a little annoying because she's a poor shooter. For the most part of the game, I stuck with the ninja-only strategy and then hired a mystic and a peasant for the final stage. I used the rest of my yen to buy tea at the final shop in stage 6 to power up my party. I also wanted to give you some maybe useful advice based upon things I learned while playing the game. Tea is the most valuable thing in a shop if you already have a few members in your party. If you play solo, go for medicine, which will give you three hit points. There's two shrines, one stage three and one stage five. If you enter them, each of your party members will be healed by two hit points. If you're playing solo, you can get six hit points for your main character. These shrines can help you quite a lot with your yen management. You can also play some kind of lottery game in stage four at the Buddha statue. The more money you get, the higher your chance to win. If you win, you get a free member for your party. 
Most of the bosses have weak spots. Stage 1 and Stage 3 boss, the head. Stage 5 boss, the feet things. Stage 4 and Stage 6 bosses, the eye. All of the characters have different special attacks that can be triggered by pressing A and B simultaneously. Using this will consume your main character's health, but watch out as effect of your attack range will empower sorry, which can affect your attack range and power drastically, so watch out. Always make sure to let go of the A button before you change your formation by pressing the B button. Yeah, you <laughs> I did a couple times too where I accidentally uh, committed suicide by uh, on accident. Did you, that happen to you as well? No, thankfully I knew about this going into it, so I avoided that. Some of them might be obvious or self-explainable in the Western version and manual. Only saying this because I had the Japanese version, so I had to learn trying and dying. Anyway, some of this may be useful to you if you play the game for the first time and spares you some of the frustrating deaths. I also just found out Hardcore Gaming 101 has some interesting and useful advice and trivia for the game. A later comment about scoring. I'm a little confused about scoring. Did Well, I, I am too. Don't worry on that part. Did another run a few days back and picked up two servants and a monk before stage 3 to increase firepower. It felt like I shot out a lot more enemies during my solo ninja runs, but I ended up with a final score of around 93,000. haven't played for a few days, but I guess I'd go back to the solo ninja for my next run. I really like the graphic design of Tengen Kaisen, especially the early stages with bamboo groves, small villages, and shrines are very well done, and there's much attention to detail. The bosses and monsters look pretty cool as well. The soundtrack is nice. But there could be a few more tracks for stages. I had a lot of fun with the game and most likely I will return to it now and then. I'm definitely glad he had some on this. It's one of those things that most people never play and I'm glad that we were able to put it on the docket for the month of June. Yeah, and thank you Zordo for the very detailed you know, stuff that you posted. It, was, it definitely was welcome to see that uh, on the forum. Mini Console Man said... I've had a blast with Mercenary Force this month. I'll probably get a few more playthroughs in the remainder of the month, but I wanted to share my thoughts thus far. I've gotten three clues of the game, with my go-to strategy being the ninja-only method, as previously mentioned by Zoido. This made dodging enemy bullets a lot easier, or a ton easier, as I only had to focus on my one character, and I didn't have to worry about shifting my team's formation. I used the level select to practice stages 5 and 6, which were definitely giving me challenges at the beginning when I first started playing. Overall, I was very impressed with this game. Great characters, good music, amazing backgrounds. Only downside is that there is no auto-fire, so each play session leaves you with a shmup hand cramp. I think the game has great replay value as well, besides trying to get a higher score. I wanted to go back and try different characters and teams to get the clear. My latest attempt was to pick both the ninja and the monk for a makeshift spread shot to help me defeat more enemies. I got the clear, but the monk didn't make it through till the end and I didn't beat my high score. Needless to say, this month's game has made me interested in seeking out more shmups for the Game Boy. And that is very good to hear, because I do think there are a couple of additional additional shooting games for Game Boy that are, are well worth a look. Um, you know, some that we may cover in the future. So, 
thank you for your detailed thoughts, Mini Console Man, and uh, I'm glad to see that this game really clicked with you. Our next comment comes from Normatron. It's been some time since I played this game, or any at all for that matter, but here's my first high score. I made it to level 6 and don't ever remember getting that far before. It's fun to play this again. I used to play it on trips when I was a kid. Back when I thought you had to pick out a full party for some reason. I, yeah, I think that is something that should have been differentiated too. That you, <laughs> hey, you can go with just solo if you'd like. But I, I could definitely see myself doing that back when I was a kid as well. Yeah, I probably would have done the same thing. Uh, and finally, Cork says, I just got to clear on this. Used one ninja and one monk. The monk didn't make it to the end for me either, Zoido. He kind of lacks behind the ninja a little too slowly to be able to dodge a lot of bullets. And yes, I found that to be the case as well. I noticed my score was also around 93,000 before the last boss. Too bad they don't tell you your score after the ending. Yeah, that's another quirk. Uh, I might try some other combinations of characters before the month is over. Happy to have played this game more in-depth than I have before. The game fits what makes a good Game Boy game. Simple, quick, fun. So, thank you everyone for contributing your thoughts, for participating, and for uh, you know really giving us some good feedback. Yeah, thank you very much everyone who participated, everyone who decided to visit RF Generation, and everybody who reached out with tips. It was definitely... From the time that I was able to play, I definitely had a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to joining everyone for this month's game. Speaking of which, what is this month's game? Yeah, so as we record this, we are in July 2021, and this month's game is Project Starship X from uh, Panda Indie Studio, or uh, developer Arabong, and it is on everything uh, or at least everything that is current. So Switch, PS4 and 5, Xbox Series, uh, and Xbox One, and PC. Um, so you can uh, join us playing on any of those. And then next month, we have Galaga 88, or Galaga 90, if you uh, play the Turbo Graphics version. Um, that is, of course, Namco, a uh, sequel to the original Galaga, or one of the sequels to the original Galaga. That was an arcade game, and of course is out on the TurboGrafx-16 uh, or PC Engine consoles. And then the arcade version is also available through various arcade compilations, uh, notably on the Switch, I believe, in the current Namco Museum, and then also on one of the collections on 360. And it might be on some others as well. I need to double-check. And this, I'm really looking forward to August. We'll have a lot of people joining us for that one. I expect there might even be a visit from Studio Mudprints. <laughs> Possibly. Speaking of Studio Mudprints, we'd like to thank them for the logo and or everything that they did to help us get started. I'd like to thank Kogoso for the intro and outro music. Everyone from RF Generation and the RF Generation Playcast. Everyone who is still trying to beat those last games from the 2019 RF Gen NES Challenge. Which like I think you. is just Crab Master at this point. He can do it. He'll carry the load. 
like to thank Metalfro for streaming and making things always interesting there as his uh, dogs uh, try and add extra challenge. Yeah. Uh, and I've got a couple of additional shout-outs. Um, there was uh, someone on Twitter, at CoreGamerTreff, who asked about um, us mentioning a shmup event that he, that they were holding in Germany. And of course, since we had to delay the recording, it's happening right now as we record this. Um, but so obviously, you know, we can't, we can't tell people to go join the event. But what I will say is it's really cool to see more and more of these things crop up. Uh, there's, there's a Korean, uh, Korea shmup festival that's coming up. Well, it's today and tomorrow as we record this, and that is cool to see. And, of course, coming up in the middle of August is Shmup Slam 4. That's happening August 14th and 15th. It's going to be going on all day. Uh, the schedule's out, uh, so you can see that. I'm actually going to be uh, joining Mark MSX to do commentary uh, on a one of the runs, uh, Ed from Studio Mud Prince is going to be doing a one-handed run of Area 88, which is, of course, the Japanese version of UN Squadron. Uh, he was on our UN Squadron episode. Go back and listen to that if you haven't already. So he has what's called the ASCII L5, and it is a single-handed or a one-handed Super Famicom controller. And so what he has done has been to develop a strategy because this is one of his favorite shoot-em-ups. Uh, he's been able to develop a strategy to play this game using just this one-handed controller. So he's going to be doing a live run of Area 88 trying to get the 1cc during Shmup Slam 4 and Mark and I are going to be doing commentary for this. I'm looking very forward to this because I, I went back and played uh, some Area 88 here the other day to sort of start doing some preparation for doing commentary, and I still suck at this game. I'm still completely terrible at it. But watching Ed play through so much of this game with one hand is highly impressive. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this happen in real time and being able to do the commentary for it. Um, but it will be on the Electric Underground YouTube channel, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm in Central Time Zone, and so the, that should be happening somewhere around like 11.15, 11.30, I think, based on where the schedule is now. Uh, that's That'll be Sunday, August 15th. So please check that out. Uh, obviously... Check out all of Shmup Slam 4 if you can. But uh, yeah, that's that's going to be a lot of fun to do commentary for that run. I'm definitely looking forward to it. All right. Any other shout outs or anything else that we need to uh, mention before we wrap up? Uh, I'd just like to give a shout out to DJ Psycho M1 for continuing to provide the chunk and <laughs> the uh, no emu everyone in the no emulation crew for continuing to keep things entertaining on Twitch. It's always a pleasure to see what new strange uh, arcade games he's going to pull out and try on his Astro City. Uh, keep it always entertaining. Yeah, and also I would uh, I would shout out uh, another Twitch streamer Desmond underscore KOF 
he's a fighting game player and uh, you know does some different things. But uh, Friday nights are always shmup nights, and so he'll stream for several hours and play shmups. Sometimes it's a variety. Uh, last night when I was watching, it was all concentrated on sort of learning a lot of the intricacies of the PS4 Battle Garega port. Um, and here, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we actually did a thing where, um, where Geriatric Damaku and myself joined in with Desmond via Parsec and played uh, some Darius Burst on PC together on his stream. So that was pretty fun. And it was kind of a neat, uh, a neat deal. So definitely check out Desmond. His streams are fun, very casual and, and chill kind of shmup streams to watch on a Friday night. And uh, when I get the opportunity to stream on Fridays, I usually like to try and, and uh, raid his stream afterward. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we hope to hear from you soon. Yes, and please come join us for a playthrough. <laughs>